You know, for, for me, I think that uh, it's understanding that most successful entrepreneurs do not try to do everything. Uh, when I got started as a real estate investor, I mean, I told you my story. I was in there literally swinging the hammer, yeah. um, which was a really cool experience. And I, I don't regret doing that. Um, I can walk on any construction site and know exactly what's going on. That's a very tangible skill, but it doesn't allow you to build your business very quickly. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate Investors. Thanks for tuning in today. We are very excited to welcome Darren Voros on our show today, all the way from sunny Costa Rica. As you can see, if you are tuning in on video today, uh, Darren is experiencing some nice weather while we are in, uh, I don't know what, like minus 15 outside today. So uh, thank you for highlighting that, Darren. We appreciate it very much. <laughs> um, so just to give you a little bit of background about Darren, uh, he definitely comes from an interesting background. Uh, I just told him before we started recording that he is the first person we've had on the show who comes from a background in theater. So from theater to real estate investing, definitely excited to hear how that happened and uh, has progressed tremendously over the years uh, with uh, starting out, uh, um, you know, working with Keyspired, uh, you know, teaching people about real estate to delving into the world of development here in downtown Toronto, which in itself is a feat. Uh, if anybody who is listening from anywhere knows, uh, we are definitely, we have a lot of challenges in our system when it comes to development to now uh, developing things in Costa Rica, which is, I think, much more exciting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he has a, a, a great mastermind that he runs called Synergy. He has an active YouTube channel with lots of subscribers, which I think comes from his natural ability to teach and to inspire other people. And yeah, I mean, I think that, 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 I think, I, I don't know, like there's so many things here that uh, I hope I haven't missed any, but uh, I will let Darren tell you more about his story. So uh, Darren, thank you for being on the show. Maybe you can tell our listeners just a brief introduction of whatever I've missed here about who you are and uh, what drove you from theater into real estate investing? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I think that's the best intro I've ever got. I'm going to give you props for that. You covered pretty much most <laughs> oh, of it. Oh, coming from the theater so. guy, like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, you know, I kind of, to to give you the short version of, of my story, I, I spent, yeah, 15 years working in professional musical theater. That was, you know, the only thing that I ever wanted to do. I, uh, after leaving high school, I went and traveled for 
seven or eight years with various different, um, you know, shows, traveled North America, Europe, Asia. Uh, I worked in Japan for a solid year. And, and that was kind of the year that really set me up, I feel like, for the rest of my life. Um, I worked for Universal Studios um, and I was paid a salary. I had a per diem. Uh, they took care of our bicycles and train passes and gym memberships. And um, we got paid in US dollars and the dollar was really uh, strong versus the Canadian dollar at that point. And so I saved all my salary. I never touched it for the whole year because I didn't need to. I had my per diem and I lived this fantastic life as a 25-year-old, I think I was at the time. And uh, so I came home to Canada. I had a little bit of money and, and I started, uh, you know, I didn't know what else to do with this money. So I thought, well, I'm going to park it in real estate because I, I heard that real estate's a good investment. And when you can buy a house, you should. And uh, so I did. And I look, I was actually living in Toronto at the time, but because that's that's kind of where you have to live if you want to have a, a, a theater career. Um, and, you know, uh, but I, I couldn't afford Toronto or I was going to be house poor if I bought in Toronto. And I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of buying a $150,000 condo at the time in downtown Toronto, which was like, at, you know, I was looking at like college and young. I'm like, who's going to pay more than $150,000 for these condos? I just never saw the value going up. So I went back to Alberta and I bought a house out there for $130,000. And that kind of started my real estate journey. And, and um, you know, my, my early experiences weren't great as a, as, a, as a real estate investor. I wouldn't even have called myself a real estate investor at that time. But as I continued to educate myself and grow, you know, it just expanded from there. And, and then, you know, you kind of wrapped up the last part of my story, which is, yeah, now diving into development and that's exclusively almost what I do now. And so it's been, it's been a fun ride and every day is a new challenge. And as you know, and, um, and now I went, I spend my winters in Costa Rica. That's part of my why I decided that, you know, a few years ago, I hate winter and I'm like, I got to be able to figure out a way to get away, get away for the winter. And I set up a, a system where I can work from here and uh, business still keeps going at home. So it's been, uh, it's been a, it's been a cool experience. We're definitely trying to figure that out. Uh, spending <laughs> our winters away. Um, so that's on our, on our bucket list for sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Darren, tell us a little bit about how you got, you know, after you bought that first property, um, you were still working uh, in uh, in the theater. Um, what what was kind of the next couple of steps that happened that kind of propelled your real estate investing career? Yeah, well, I'd love to say that I was like the most intelligent real estate investor, and I bought at the you know all, all the all the I did all my due diligence. That was not the case. I I kind of backed into real estate investing. Um, I bought a house, like I say, in an affordable market. I bought it for one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Um, and I finished the basement and, you know, that was, I bought it from a builder. So it was a new house. And my idea was I was going to buy it, finish the basement and then the increase in value. I was going to sell it, take my $20,000 in profit and go and do this over and over again. Um, and I couldn't sell it. Um, not because I didn't do a good renovation or not because the market wasn't doing well. The problem was I was in a neighborhood that had 50, 60, 70 available lots. So why would anyone want to buy a house from me at, you know, $160,000 when they could go directly to the builder still? And if they bought, you know, they only had to wait four more months and then they got to customize their own house. Right. So I, I couldn't really sell it for a, for a profit. So then I was like, well, I guess I got to rent it. And um, so then I turned to renting. I had a bad experience with my first tenant. Uh, they actually, I had to evict them. Um, and then my second tenant was a long-term four-year contract with a management company that basically put three or four uh, employees in there for working in the oil field because this was in Red Deer, Alberta. Okay. And uh, 
that experience was great. So the, for the four years, I really didn't have to do too much to it. I was continuing on theater. I was traveling in the U.S. Uh, with a show, and I was back in Toronto, and I was all over uh, all over the the country. And then four years later, the market had kind of gone a little crazy in Alberta. And you know, I put an ad in the newspaper and sold it 24 hours later for my full asking price. And then I took that money, and then I came out to Ontario because that's when I could finally sort of afford um, the market out here. And I ended up buying three properties probably within a six month period. Um, and that's when I really saw the power of real estate investing. I was like this exponential growth, right? Instead of going from one to two, I was able to go from one to to three in, in that four-year span. And I thought if I could go from three to, to six in another four years and then keep on that pattern, this could be something that could really set me up for life. And I had no intentions of ever being a full-time real estate investor. I thought I'd just keep doing theater and keep being an actor and a singer and a dancer. And this would supplement my, my income there. And then at some point it just switched. And I was like, this real estate thing is where I am really passionate about it. And I want to, I want to go full time. Yeah, no, nice. Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, talk to us about uh, development in general, like what sort of sparked that. And it's interesting because you're doing more build to rent. It sounds like you're, you're turning uh, proper lots or properties, uh, redeveloping them or developing them into rentals, multi-unit rentals. So what brought you into development and why did you decide to pick that specific strategy rather than just like a build to sell? And, and really what is your strategy? Are you building them for yourself? Are you building them to sell? Um, what, how did that all come about? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I think it's a, I had a very natural progression as a real estate investor, as probably many people do. Uh, you know, you start with a single family and then you do a duplex and then maybe you look at a triplex. And then after that, you're like, okay, I've done a triplex now. Maybe I should try a four. And I went from three to eight. That was kind of like the next logical progression for me. And, and it happened uh, again, somewhat organically, where I was looking at a property in my neighborhood in Toronto. I had I had built uh, a purpose-built um, triplex. I actually physically built it, which was a really cool experience from the ground up. Uh, I did everything except, uh, you know, I think the I didn't do the roof and I didn't do some of the tile work and and I didn't do some of the finishing of the drywall. But other than that, I did the rest of it. It was a cool experience, but I was like, okay, I know how to build a house now. Um, and then I started looking at these these bigger opportunities in Toronto. And what I realized was when you get to that next price point, like I was looking always at the price pricing around a million dollars and in the Toronto market, that's a starter home, right? So you're competing with everybody else on the market. You're competing with end users. You're competing with all the other investors that are trying to find those duplex and triplex conversions. And this realtor brought me an exclusive opportunity. He's like, hey, I've got this property in High Park. And I was like, oh, it's a great neighborhood and I won't be able to afford it. Uh, and it won't make sense for the numbers because you can't buy a property at $3 million and turn it into a triplex. The numbers just don't work. Yeah. But then I was looking at the lot size and I looked at the zoning and I looked at everything. I was like, you know what? If we could, you know, do an addition off the back and and uh, add a, a, a third story, we could actually do two units per floor. And on a three-story building with a basement, we could do eight units. And then I started to run the numbers on the eight unit. I'm like, this actually might make sense to take it from a single family dwelling basically and turn it into an eight unit apartment building. Um, and then the nice thing was you're buying it with residential financing on the front end because it's a single family dwelling, it looks and smells like a single family dwelling. You're like basically taking it now, turning it into an eight unit apartment building and then your commercial financing on the back end. And through that process was when they introduced the MLI Select program with CMHC. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that really started to change the course of 
of more of these kinds of projects that we were looking at because now I could get up to 95% loan to value. Now I could get 50-year amortization. And now I only needed a 1.1 debt coverage ratio. So there was all these new incentives being introduced for people to hold properties and rent them out versus you know, selling them off as condos or doing a lot of what the other developers were doing. And so that's kind of how that progression came to be. And, and you know, we have four of those projects in Toronto right now. Two are complete and two are uh, in, one's in construction and one's in pre-construction. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. You so, make it sound, he makes it like, oh, you just add an addition. And <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've seen some of your videos and like that, those are some yeah, that, that that's pretty much rebuilding the it's, entire it's intense development. You have yeah, the you, you, the front facade, but then the the back is all ripped out, and you know, it's it's a major project, and especially being in Toronto where your space is limited, you know, you, you know, accessibility to the yeah. property, um, traffic. Like, there's so many things here that people so, for those listening, like, yeah, not absolutely. So, so tell me about. Like you said, you built it yourself. Um, the triplex. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the first one. Like, did you go? Did you how? Like, from theater to actually construction, <laughs> like contracting work. How did that come about? <laughs> that's a, that's a good question, and it's not it's a, not a very natural one. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think I've just always been very inquisitive about how things are put together and how they're built, and it started organically, like most things do. I was a landlord. Um, something happened on one of my properties. Even that very first property that I bought in Red Deer, you yeah. know, um, we were my my mom is fancies herself as a bit of a handy person, and my dad is not at all. Oh, um, but we we bought this house, and and she was like, well, we can probably do a couple things. We know some you know some friends and family in the trades, and so on that first project, I hung the drywall, and I learned a lot about that, and and I learned how to hang doors and a couple things. So like every little project that I did, I feel like I picked up a little thing here and there. And I thought, well, I can buy the materials to do it and maybe a couple of tools to do it at a third of the cost of what it would cost me to hire somebody else to do it. Uh, so I could screw it up three times before I'd be losing money, right? So that was always kind of my philosophy yeah. of like whatever I had to spend on materials and, and tools. And I just really started to enjoy some of that work. And, and it was like one of the most rewarding things that I would do is like start the day with, you know, something and finish the day with something else. And and that became a very cool thing. And and then it just progressed there. Every Every property that I bought, I learned a new skill. I bought more tools. Uh, I got more know-how and, and the next thing you know, I'm like building a house from the ground up and it, it was, uh, you know, it was a lot learned on that project, but, you know, I felt like I had a pretty good knowledge base at that point. Yeah. And that actually led you to, you know, having a, being on TV, right? You got, you were featured on CBC and city TV, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Well, and it's like the theater background became very handy, right? I was actually auditioning for many shows uh, to host shows like HGTV was always looking for new hosts and um, all of these different programs, the W network. And, uh, you know, it was always like, I was in there. A lot of times I was in there with like the host, I was going to be like the contractor. Right. So they always wanted somebody who had a little bit of experience on camera or in, you know, in theater, because it was like, it was very natural for us to just, you know, be kind of uh, charismatic and do all the things that need to be done. Um, And so I got so close on so many different shows and I never ended up getting, 
getting any of them. And then it became to, to the goods, which was CBC's lifestyle show. And the, I auditioned to be one of the hosts of the goods and uh, I didn't get it, but they were like, Hey, we'd love to have you in as a regular guest. No one has construction experience. We'd love to bring you in and talk construction. Um, and then every once in a while, that conversation would turn to real estate investing as well. So I got to be on both the goods and city line from both of those perspectives, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good, yeah, it was a good gig. It's amazing. And that is, is that what led you to Keyspire or did that come before? Um, no, Keyspire was first actually. So okay. I, I went to see Scott as, as many people do. Scott McGilvery, I saw him, he was in Toronto and I was like, oh, I'll go check out this like real estate thing and went and listened for, for his, for his thing. And I didn't actually plan on doing anything more with them. And I ended up signing up for the workshop. I, I learned a lot actually through the workshop and, and then I ended up being a, a member of their organization. And then as at one of their conferences, they were like, Hey, we're looking for additional speakers. Scott can't be on the road, like 52 weekends a year. Yeah. And I put my hand up basically and said, well, I have theater experience and I'm, I'm, you know, I think I'm a pretty um, experienced real estate investor at that time. I had, I think like six properties in my portfolio. And that was a lot for many of Keyspire's members. A lot of them yeah. just had one or two. And so they're like, Hey, let's try it out. So they hired me and I went out on the road for uh, a couple of weeks and I did well. And, and then they just, they, they had me out every weekend for like two, two and a half, three years. And, uh, and then the pandemic hit. And then I, uh, I changed gears a little bit. Yeah. That's a pretty cool story. And so, yeah, talk to us about um, Costa Rica, maybe. Uh, Let's just switch gears to sunny Costa Rica now. So uh, talk to us about what you're doing there. Uh, Obviously, you have development experience. So, um, you know, what are you building? Talk to us a little bit about the strategy, why you decided on Costa Rica, aside from the weather, and Mm -hmm. um, what your what your goal is with whatever you're you're doing there. Yeah, Costa Rica, you know, is a place that I've been traveling to for for many years, and um, you know, I've been back to this area where I am right now. I'm in Nosara, which is a, a very popular destination for uh, tour uh, for for uh, surfers and for yogis. Um, which are, you know, I'm, I'm good at one of those things, not so good at the other one. I'm, I'm, I'm a yoga teacher. Actually, it's one of the other things that I, I, I do sometimes at home once a week, I teach yoga, but so being here has always been a great place. Uh, I've always loved it. The beach here is amazing. The community here is amazing. So last year when I was here for three months, I was like, Hey, I'd love to actually look at developing something here. And so I, I ended up purchasing some land at the end of the, of the season here last year. And, um, the idea was that, you know, I was going to basically uh, look at creating a little condo here. So, uh, kind of a, a single family community of condos. And so originally our plan was to build 10, um, based on the land size and that, uh, ended up getting reduced down to six because we just made the units bigger, uh, which actually the economics of that made a lot more sense because we got the same revenue off of six as we would have gotten off of 10 smaller units. But our cost to construct came down because we had six kitchens versus 10 and, you know, six, uh, you know, uh, uh, structures instead of 10. So um, we reduced the size of our, our um, you know, our footprint on the land. We made our units bigger and the revenue model was exactly the same, but our cost to construct came down. So that's kind of how we ended up with six units. We have four, three bedroom, three bathroom units, and then two, four bedroom four bathroom units. So they're, they're quite large. Each one of them has a pool, has two car parking and they're five minute walk to the beach. So um, really the idea with this project project is uh, I brought in some investors and we'll sell three to four of the units 
and that will pay for the entire project. So that'll pay for construction, the cost of the land, uh, and give all the investors their money back. And then essentially we'll have no capital into the deal and we'll have two or three units that we still operate as short-term rentals. So that will generate you know, passive income for my investors um, and and myself. And then we can sell those units, uh, you know, if we want to in a year or two years or five years or 10 years. So I like that model of, you know, uh, creating multiple units, selling a portion of them to recoup your capital, and then yep. keeping a couple of them moving forward without any uh, money left in the deal. So that's the model that we've created here. Yeah, no, definitely. That's sounds wonderful. And you, you get to kind of enjoy the fruits of your labor long-term as well, right? Uh, so that's great. How, how was the experience, you know, building and developing, uh, doing business in a new country? Um, you know, like, I wouldn't even imagine how you got started and like making all these connections, um, you know. Obviously you got, learning. Yeah, learning, learning along the way, like legislation when it comes to, yeah, so these uh, entitlement process, you know, it, it's, um, I cut my teeth in Canada, which was good. I, I learned a lot of the development process in Canada. Um, and, and I think that it's transferable, you know, to many other countries. It's it's actually not that different to develop here. There's different nuances, right? Yeah. Like we talked about city of Toronto. I mean, it's a nightmare to develop there when you look at you know, the the regulatory process and how long it takes to get projects approved and the development charges and all that kind of stuff. Um, and like you say, the actual infrastructure of the city, like how tight properties are and where they are and all that kind of stuff. So you don't have some of those challenges here in Costa Rica, but you've got a challenge with water, right? So that's the main thing here in Costa Rica. And, and so when I started to talk to the agents as we as we would at home when we're looking at any different you know project it's like you kind of get a feel for the some of the challenges and some of the things that that happen here and then you bring in your team of professionals you bring in your lawyers and you bring in your accountants and you bring in all those people to advise you and the, the thing about international investing is you need people on both sides of the border that's the the big difference right so i've got my legal team at home creating our limited partnership agreements and things like that for our investors i've got my accountants who are like, okay, well, I need to bring in uh, our, our cross-border specialists to really advise you on how we need to set this up so that it's the beneficial interest of your investors here in Canada for investing in Costa Rica. But I've also got people here. So it's like the entire legal team here is advising me to be like, hey, we've got to look at this and this and this and my accountants here and my bookkeepers here. So you, you kind of need double the operations right. on both sides of the border to really feel comfortable making a purchase and, and, and taking on a development project. But I think when you've got those people in place and and you you know you have to probably add an extra layer of due diligence to what you would be doing at at home for instance um that that's kind of the the approach that i took as i'm sure you did when you went and invested in the us market right it's like you kind yeah, of just absolutely. look at you know what what do we do here and then what am i going to do there and and how do i learn that new system and and that's that's uh, that's the process that kind of happened here but it's it's there's a lot of nuances here to do with with water and sewer that we don't have to think about at home because we just literally connect to the the water line at the front of the property yeah. and we connect to the sewer and we're kind of done. There's a cost to that. But here in Costa Rica, it's like, do they have enough water? That's right. Uh, and then where do we put the sewer? Because there is no sewer here. So it's like that, those are the big challenges here. 
Yeah, I know that that's, that's definitely something that uh, we don't think of. You're absolutely right when we're developing here. So, you know, talk to us a little bit. I mean, there's lots of people here who mm-hmm. want to go outside of Ontario or go outside of Canada and they want to start investing in another location. <clears throat> I think a lot of people talk themselves out of it because they're like, no, no, like it's easier to just invest here. There's lots of opportunities here. Um, we can do things here. Like we don't need to do that. We don't need to go to the US or we don't need to go to another country. <clears throat> What motivated you to to decide to do that? I mean, you obviously have success here. You have projects here. You have a team here. I know that obviously living there and <clears throat> maybe that's part of the equation for you, like something to build out a business in another country where you live part of the year. But was it a financial motivator? Like, it, are the numbers better for you? Was it just bringing some of your economy outside of Canada for whatever reason? Like, what was the motivator there to sort of start in another country? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think like one of the things that I've always looked at is when I'm bringing investors into a deal, I think there is a certain amount of um, the, the the project has to have a little uh, something unique about it that that turns people's heads a little bit to say like, this is different than something else that's that's on the market. And I often think that when people when investors are kind of evaluating a project, they're obviously first and foremost, probably evaluating you as an individual, right? And and your track record and and your, you know, how they believe you are from like, do they know you? Do they like you? Do they trust you? We kind of talk about those three things all the time. But the next thing they'll want to do is they'll want to look at the the opportunity, of course, after they feel like they trust you. And I, and I, when I look at markets like Toronto, or I look at markets like we have a project in Kitchener, um, when I look at a market like the U.S. or and, or Costa Rica, um, people get excited about things because they see themselves, you know, being able to potentially, you know, for lack of a better term, boast about the fact that I own a property in Toronto or I own a property in Costa Rica. So when I think about that. It's a really, um, it's a powerful thing to go out and market to investors. And one thing about Costa Rica for sure is that it has this very strong international reputation for, for Canadians, especially that is true, when you yeah. talk about Costa Rica, people are like, Oh, I love Costa Rica. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like the thing that people say to me all the time. So when I've been here and I've experienced it on the ground and the, then the shortage of, properties to rent and the cost of renting here. And then I've also come back and everyone's like, oh my gosh, you must be so lucky to spend time in Costa Rica. I love it there. When you look at these couple of things and you combine them, like this one might be a, a pretty easy project to raise capital for because of all of these things. And sure enough, I raised my minimum for this that I've never had a minimum this high. And and I, you know, and I raised capital probably faster for this deal than I've raised it for any other project in my portfolio. And I think it was a combination of those things. It was the strategy for one, getting their money back within a couple of years, you know, if everything goes to plan. And then, you know, it was like I own a piece of property in Costa Rica that I can maybe go and use with my family. That was another thing where people were super excited about that. And then also just being like, I trust Costa Rica more so than like say Mexico or some other places that don't have as much of a stable government or might have a little bit more corruption in, in them. And, and Costa Rica, just uh, from my experience, is not, does not have those challenges. No, that's the, those are all great points. Um, definitely that there is that kind of, a, I don't know, 
Black, Lex, yeah, sex appeal yeah. with uh, with, yeah. with, Co- with Costa, Rica, Costa Rica, right? And yeah, and especially because yeah, like you mentioned, like a lot of Canadians have been down there. I mean, we love and, Costa Rica too. Yeah, we 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 <laughs> actually were were looking to we're looking at Airbnb and and the the cost for air for how it's it's kind kind of mind boggling that it's like five hundred dollars is like for a basic place. For uh, for per, per day, parts, yeah. yeah, like it's it's quite, yeah. it's quite. Um, and when you look at the cash on cash returns, they're really solid here, right? Like you you can't finance here, so really you have to just look at like, okay, so I'm buying a place for you know half a million dollars, but it's but it's generating you know let's say five hundred thousand dollars a year sometimes, like you know like sorry not five hundred thousand dollars a year, fifty thousand dollars a year, right? That that would actually be a quite a low number for a lot of places here. So it's like. Your 10, 12, 14, 16% cash on cash return, it's hard to find that, right? And you still own the asset and it appreciates ideally over time, right? That's not something we can yeah. guarantee. But you know, the 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 cash on cash return is strong in these markets down here. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, um, talk to us about what your plans are over the next several years. Are you hoping to continue development out in Costa Rica? And in terms of your local portfolio here, um, are you primarily building to keep? So are you guys still building everything and then bringing it into your portfolio? And is there sort of a long-term goal to accumulate a certain size portfolio? Like where do you see all of this going for yourself? Yeah, I think... I, I like the mix of um, long and, and short-term investing. If you want, if you want to, want to call it that, I think that I, you know, I was just having lunch actually here with my realtor, and she was like, "Oh, I've got a piece of land. It's around the corner from where I." So I live in in, in uh, about 200 meters from where my land is, and there's another piece that's available just around the corner from there. So I like creating economies of scale as well. You know, when we do our four projects in Toronto, you know, uh, that's nice because now we've got, you know, 32 units that are coming online. We get economies of scale with property management, with repairs and maintenance, all that kind of stuff. So when I'm looking at that kind of stuff, I want to create the same kind of system here. Um, So yeah, for me, I like the idea of buying and building and selling and then keeping a portion of the units. I really like that model. Um, So I'll continue to do that. And I think I'll continue to do that um, on on more of these foreign investments. Uh, And then the stuff at home. Yeah, I think, you know, trying to do my part back in Canada uh, to help alleviate the, you know, the housing crisis that, that we're in. Um, most of our units, uh, are being done. Like I say, we're, we're building them under the MLI select CMHC financing program. And so we have three options, uh, to get the CMHC approvals, which is, you know, building energy efficient properties, uh, building with affordable units in them or building with accessible units in them. And we tend to, um, do a combination of all three. But usually what we end up with is uh, a, a portion of the units that are affordable. And then we also have very energy efficient buildings. But I like the balance of, you know, these short-term projects that can potentially return capital relatively quickly in in development uh, senses, right? Yep. Um, but also like these long-term projects that like you buy into the Toronto market, you know, put a 10-year mortgage on it, uh, fix your costs essentially, you know, with and then you know, check back in, in, in 10 years and see how the project is, is kind of doing. And, and I, I'm a huge believer in, 
in the Toronto market over a, a long period of time. I just think that there's people want to live there and uh, you know, the way that our country is dealing with immigration and people moving to the country, they, they often land in Toronto and people are, it's going to, Toronto going to be a renter city for, for the foreseeable future. And it already is right. So if we can be a part of that and we can also help alleviate some of the housing needs, then that's a, a win, win, win. For sure. Yeah, no, yeah. I wanted to ask you about your YouTube channel uh, what what kind of motivated you to start a YouTube channel? Because obviously it has it done tremendously well. Um, you've got fifteen thousand subscribers uh, with you know over forty thousand views per month. So mm-hmm. what what motivated you to start? It was to start this channel. You know, um, people often ask me the question about that because I, I started in March of twenty twenty. So everyone's like, oh, did you like the pandemic hit? And then you were like, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm like, actually, it had been in the works for months before that. I just got really lucky that I launched my my coaching program and my YouTube channel essentially at the same time. And then the world shut down and everyone was just on their laptops, like, you know, 12 hours a day or, or, you know, just sitting in front of their TVs. So I think my channel did well in the beginning because I focused on a couple of things. I, I really saw a need for information for Canadian investors was one. I saw a need for concise information. Um, as much as I love podcasts, because you get to like really understand some, somebody's story on, on a more of a long-term, long-form content basis, yeah. I thought what was missing in the YouTube space was just hard-hitting, like factual, show me the numbers, tell me the points that I need to know. I need to spend 10 minutes and and then move on to the next sort of thing. So I really started to create content based on that. Um, and so it was Canadian based. It was, it was factual and it was kind of like hard hitting and, and kind of get in and get out. Um, and then the, the channel started to do really well. And, and, you know, that was something that, uh, it grew faster than I ever kind of expected that it would, but it was a grind, you know, like it was, uh, it was a challenge to keep up with, you know, being consistent, producing in the beginning, I was producing two videos a week. Um, it was a 40 hour per week job just to do that. And I knew it wasn't sustainable. And so I had to outsource a lot of it. I dropped down to one video a week. Um, and the channel has continued to do well, but really I started it for a three pronged effect. I wanted to find investors. I wanted people to get to know me, like me and trust me. Um, I, I wanted to eventually start an education program and that's, you know, that's kind of what I launched at, at the same time. Um, and I was hoping to make some YouTube ad revenue at some point, right. Which is always, I think somebody thinks like their channel goes to a million subscribers and they're making a hundred grand a month on YouTube ad revenue. Um, I'm not, I'm not even close to that yet, but, uh, and I end up the YouTube ad revenue doesn't even come close to covering my costs for running the YouTube channel. So if that's why you're getting into YouTube, don't do it. You'll be, (laughs) you'll be very disappointed, but, um, yeah, that was the precipice for starting the channel. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, that leads us into, uh, your mastermind and synergy. Uh, maybe talk to us about the group. Uh, we've heard great things about it. Uh, maybe just give our listeners an understanding of what synergy is, uh, what, what the philosophy is or what the vision was behind it. And, um, you know, what type of membership, uh, is what, what kind of members are part of your mastermind? 
Yeah, Synergy uh, actually was born around the same time as my YouTube channel. I um, I was, again, we were in the pandemic. Uh, people were just connecting virtually, right? It was like this virtual networking thing that happened. And uh, I had this guy reach out to me. I think he sent me a Facebook message. I, I had kind of seen his stuff a little bit before. I knew he was part of a couple of the same networks that I was. And he was like, hey, we're running a construction panel tomorrow. Uh, do you have any construct, by chance, do you have any construction experience? And I was like, yeah, I've built some houses. He's like, cool, can you come on? I ended up coming on to this panel. He was like, hey, you seem like a really nice guy. I checked you out. I saw your YouTube channel. You've got a pretty good reach in the East. We're from Victoria in the West. We've been looking at starting this mastermind. We want to have this elite group of Canadian investors from across the country. Uh, we're part of a mastermind in the US and we're kind of mimicking that. Would you be interested in co-founding it with us? And I was like, hey, it sounds like something that I've actually been looking for. And yeah. I don't really, I can't really find one in Canada. And so, yeah, that, that's how Synergy was born. Um, and we, we, you know, our first year we had 35 members from across the country. Um, and it was really just kind of like reaching out to people that were in our networks and saying, hey, we're starting this thing. Do you want to be a part of it? And the response was was really good. Um, you know, I think that we ended up getting the kind of quality of people that we wanted, just people that were really focusing on building their uh, real estate investing as a business. Synergy has three pillars, really. Uh, we, we talk about collaborating, educating, and scaling, right? So it's like, Networking obviously is a big part of what you do in a mastermind and, and, you know, the value of a mastermind, I think is what you put into it. So if you can connect with 35, now we have 65 members. If you can connect with 65 people across the country and ask them, you know, what they're doing in their business and the challenges they're having. And, you know, somebody in our group has definitely done every kind of strategy. So if you can just reach out to somebody and say, Hey, how did you come up with the uh, solution for this problem? Boom. You've just saved yourself probably tens of thousands of dollars by having somebody in your network who can just show you the quickest path to get to where you want to go. So that's the first thing. Education obviously is a big thing for us. We bring in speakers from all kind of walks of life and business. Uh, some of them have real estate investing experience. Some of them are just straight up business people. You know, we had... Um, we had uh, a guy that came and spoke to our mastermind on Wednesday, and he's called the hundred million dollar webinar man. Um, and he he that's his that's his business. But he took some of the raising capital pitch decks, and he you know kind of went through them. And for our members, it was like this amazing thing to just have this guy who his entire business is focused around creating webinars that just deliver and convert. So having that, that's our education piece. And then of course, scaling a business, you know, how do you hire your first employee or your fifth employee? And how do you bring on staff and how do you grow and scale and how do you do that effectively? So that's really what Synergy is all about. Uh, we have, uh, we're growing the, the the group to 75 members next year. Uh, we want to keep it intimate so that everybody really has a chance to connect. We do three live events per year, two in Canada and one at an international location. Uh, we never go to the same place uh, twice. So we've been to BC and Quebec and Ontario and all these cool spots. Um, and yeah, it's it's an eight month program and uh, or sorry, 10 month uh, program. And then you basically renew every single year. And our renewal rate is like sky high. We've had people that have basically been with us since year one and we're going into year four next year, starting in September. 
Oh, beautiful. That's amazing. Jose and I are big uh, believers in coaching and masterminding. It has completely changed our trajectory. And, you know, there's people out there who try to quantify the value that they get. Like, oh, I spent X number of dollars and is it really worth X number of dollars or, you know, but uh, we've learned that it's those, like you said, those golden nuggets, those little things, sometimes subliminal that you don't necessarily know and are immeasurable. And, when people ask us what's the secret to success, we always tell people the same thing, mentorship and masterminds. That is hands down the way that you grow and propel yourself if you, whatever it is that you're trying to do. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. No. And, 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 you know, the one thing about masterminds is the networking, right? It's, uh, sometimes, uh, you could search for answers for days. Uh, you go to YouTube channel when you could have a somebody that already has done it and can give you that answer within like uh, a half an hour, right? So it, yeah. it really saves you a lot of time. And and um, sometimes that, that collaboration of doing projects together just accelerates your success, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say has been uh, not just your, but also for our audience, a skill a multi-million dollar skill that you think entrepreneurs, especially in real estate, need to hone to accelerate their success? That's a that's a great question. Um, you know, for, for me, I think that uh, it's understanding that most successful entrepreneurs do not try to do everything. Uh, when I got started as a real estate investor, I mean, I told you my story. I was in there literally swinging the hammer, yeah. um, which was a really cool experience. And I, I don't regret doing that. Um, I can walk on any construction site and know exactly what's going on. That's a very tangible skill, but it doesn't allow you to build your business very quickly. Yeah. It, it allows you to to learn a lot. Um, but it doesn't allow you to to build your business quickly. So I think for for any entrepreneur that really wants to uh, scale and grow and build and do all the things, figure out what you're good at, stay in your lane, and hire everyone else to to and hire like experts, hire people that are way better at what you need to do than than you would ever be, right? And I think that's uh, that's been the key to to success in terms of my business is bringing in people that are just excellent at you know. Um, whatever marketing or excellent at uh, finance or excellent at whatever they need to be able to do and and pass those responsibilities off to them and bringing in those people should allow you to free up your time to then go and do what you do best and what I do best is find opportunities and raise capital to 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 you know help complete them so that's where I need to be spending the majority of my time not um, dealing with my bookkeepers uh, and, and trying to figure out, you know, um, how to get my permit application submitted on time. Yeah, no, no. That, um, it's funny you mentioned this because I just heard uh, Brandon Turner uh, say the same exact thing that you gotta make sure you you're a quitter. Like you, you, you learn something, <laughs> but you quit, and because you're not, you, you always want to improve your. That's a, as he says, a billion dollar habit because mm-hmm. you always want to pass it on to the next person that's going to be do a better job than you do, right? Yeah, it's like uh, that book, Who Not How, right? So it's a, yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, who, um, who's going to help you to do that? All those things that you 
you know, you got to figure out that million dollar skill for yourself and, and outsource the rest. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, Darren, um, as we kind of come to a wrap here, I wanted to ask you uh, sort of a last question, which is, you know, you have all this success, you've obviously accumulated a, a very uh, robust portfolio. What motivates you to keep going? Like, what is your why? Uh, you could just hang out in Costa Rica, you know, go surfing all day. Like, <laughs> you don't even need to come back, really, if you didn't want to. Uh, what what is it that sparks that fire and, and sort of keeps you motivated? Because, um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's, you know, you get to a point where you don't, you don't really have that. Maybe some people run out of steam or they think like, okay, like I've done enough. Like, what is it that keeps you going? And, and, and what do you see as, uh, your, your, you know, for the next five or 10 years, like, do you see yourself slowing down? You know, that, that's a great question. And I think that uh, some people uh, struggle with, you know, their why. And I am I am one of those people. I don't know that I've had a, a, a strong motivation. Uh, I haven't had some sort of crazy life experience or, um, you know, that I need to really overcome. I don't have uh, a legacy, if you will. I I'm not married. I don't have kids. Um, so, you know, I think that's a lot of motivating factor for, for many people. Um, you know, my parents were, were super supportive of everything that I've done and I'd love to be able to take care of them, you know, for the rest of their life. Uh, but they're, they're fine. My, you know, my sister, my nephews, they're, they're fine too, you know? So I, I don't feel like that. That's really my, my why. I think the thing that has always been a big driver for me is, um, my parents did, you know, sort of have those financial struggles in, in their like mid forties. They they both like lost their jobs unexpectedly, and although they had paid off their house um, and they did it well up to that point, they kind of like hobbled along for a few years after that, and they're still kind of in that in that grind. And I've just never wanted to be the thing that makes my decisions money. I've never wanted to go to a restaurant and look at the menu and decide on what I wanted to eat based on the price. I know it probably sounds, you know, very, um, uh, you know, sort of simple in a way, but I think that's, that's been the main driver, but ultimately I, I, I love what I do. I really like working on projects, but to be super honest with you, like I'm, I'm a little bit getting to the sort of the the end of my journey i think as it went with the pace that i'm at right now yeah. like i i just turned 47 on uh on monday and uh i kind of was like birthday. thank you <laughs> yeah needed. yeah i was like okay um i and i, I just signed a couple of mortgage documents for a 3 year commitment on a couple of my properties and i was like maybe this is it maybe at the end of the 3 years um i don't take on any new projects Maybe I just start to slow down. Maybe I do uh, spend a little bit more time surfing and uh, traveling and doing what I want to do. I'll never stop working. I know that about myself. Um, I'll always want to have something that I'm working on. And obviously, I have properties in my portfolio. I'm not getting any of them anytime soon. I have investors I need to answer to. I'm not going anywhere for them. But you know, if I don't take on any new projects... Um, I might just continue to do that and, and try to spend some more quality time with my friends and my family and, and enjoying, you know, the life that I've been trying to create for so many years. Cause I think you can get into a pattern of just go, 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 go. And my sister says that all the time to me. She's like, when is enough enough, Darren? And, uh, I might be answering that question soon that I, I might be at that point where I have enough that I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I so just need to enjoy it now. That all the time too. Like, when is it yeah. enough? What is this? Like, is it a magic number? Is it this one pivotal 
moment? Is it a certain age? Like, what is it? And you're right. uh, A lot of us struggle with our why, no matter what our circumstances are. And sometimes the pursuit becomes a pattern, which is what you said. Like, you just don't know how to stop. It's like a go, go, go. Like your mind is always running. You just, that's the mode you operate in. It's your, even with us, like, it's so funny because people think when you're self-employed, you're going to live this luxurious life of like hanging out on the sofa, going for lunches, going to the spa. It's like, we don't know how to do that. We don't operate like nine o'clock. You're at your desk and you sit. I sometimes like, I forget (laughs) that I even haven't had lunch. Right. Like that's the kind of day that you have. And it becomes like, like you said, it's just like, it's, it's, it's who you are. It's what you do. And, um, yeah, I think it's important though, that sometimes people go back to that. Why? And like you said, understanding why we do what we do, the type of lifestyle we want to build and uh, you can still work and, and sort of change your operations to kind of fit both together a little bit better. So that's really good. That's good advice. Um, yeah, Darren, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, so much authenticity. Uh, and I think uh, just so much accomplishment over, you know, just the last decade and uh, educating others. I think the mastermind is a wonderful thing. Uh, we we have uh, people we know personally who are part of the mastermind and we hear nothing mm-hmm. but bragging about it. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> two of our, two of our biggest supporters sometimes. for sure. Yeah. The yeah, Maria and Aziza. Some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. some of the, some of the fun things you guys do and just, uh, the way that you're able to inspire people. So we commend you for that. And, uh, yeah, yeah no, I, I, it was an amazing conversation. I, I you know, I think we're going to get uh, great value from, uh, for our listeners. Um, so, you know, uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, I mean, the easiest way is probably just my website, DarrenVoros.com. And, yep. and from there, you know, you can direct to my, you know, my various, uh, you know, pr- products if people want to, you know, look at my education stuff or if they want to find my YouTube channel, there's links yes. through there. And it's the easiest way. So just, yeah, DarrenVoros.com is yep. the most simple place to land Perfect. for sure. Perfect. We'll definitely link it in our show notes. So <laughs> thank you again, Darren, for giving us your time and sharing with our audience. Uh, we appreciate it so much. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's it's great to, you know, just connect with other real estate investors and talk about, you know, what we do. So I, I appreciate you guys uh, and giving me the time for sure. Yep, thanks. thanks again. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.